Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is the wonderful Phil Rosenthal, who hosts the travel series Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. Phil is also the creator of the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond, as well as a writer and producer. This interview was recorded in mid-November, and I should warn you that there will be graphic descriptions of delicious food. So if you get hungry, not our fault. You, you have the show Somebody Feed Phil, which we're basically going to talk about this entire entire episode. But I want I want to know what do you think of how your show has changed in 2020 from a funny, entertaining travel show about food and people and experiences to what is nothing short of science fiction. <laughs> I uh, I'm sorry that it's taken that on for you and maybe for other people, but here's my message for everybody listening. Yes, I understand that you'll watch a show and go, oh, remember when we used to be able to do that? Remember when we could go somewhere? Remember we could when we could eat with people, when we could even hug them and kiss them? And there's a little of that for me, too, when I watch it. But we also know that this terrible time that we're in right now is going to end. Uh, the vaccines are on the horizon. In fact, they're almost ready. Uh, people are saying that by April, we will start to be uh, immunized, right? And maybe, maybe a lot of people will be immunized by then. So what I'm advising you to do is watch the show the way you used to before it was science fiction <laughs> with an eye towards, hey, look at that place. Let's go there. And then make your plan for, I would say, safely next summer, a year from now, make that plan. or Fulfill the plans that you had that you had to postpone during COVID uh, because the world will be returned to us. So that's good news. Yes, we still have to get through this terrible tragedy that we're in the middle of and we can't see past it yet, but it is coming. There is goodness coming. The world will be returned to us. That's the message. Well, and I think um, and, and a, a sliver of that goodness is actually the fact that you're, you're, you're the fourth season of your show is on Netflix now. And okay. even though I was joking that it was sci-fi, it is it is such an escape to see, even in uh, non-pandemic times, uh, a lot of people don't get to travel to the wonderful places you go to. But I, I want to back up one second. Um, what has it been like for you to be sidelined, just like everybody else during yeah. during this time, uh, as someone who's known for being traveling? Yes. Well, first of all, I'm the luckiest guy you're ever going to talk to. So I, I, I have a ridiculously happy life, good life. And I've gotten to travel so much. You know, when, when we did the first episode five years ago for PBS, right? It was called I'll Have What Phil's Having, uh, those six episodes that we did. And the first episode we filmed was in Barcelona. And after the first day of filming that first episode, I turned to the crew, my brother included, and I said, you know, if I got to do nothing else, this was phenomenal. This was phenomenal. <laughs> I'm very grateful for everything I have done. So if it should all end tomorrow, uh, this this I hope this isn't one of those prophetic uh, podcasts. <laughs> it, it's not, believe me. It's. <laughs> Can you believe he said that? Now look, um, and then and and and, but I, that's genuinely the way I feel. Every day 
has been gravy for a very long time for me uh, because I've been so, so lucky. And I, that's how I treat it. I'm grateful for everything I've gotten to do, everything I've, I have. And, and so everything, when you approach life that way, it's just a little sweeter, I think. A lot of people might not know one of the biggest things you've done outside the show is you created a, uh, a small show called Everybody Loves Raymond. And for a lot of people, that would be like the, um, the high bar, right? That would be like, all right, I'm set. I got money. When you ended that show, could you have ever imagined that you'd be doing a travel show years later? Nope. And again, that's another reason why if it ended tomorrow, I, I, who's gonna, I can't complain. I mean, I, I'm Jewish, so I find a reason to complain about something every night. <laughs> but, but, but when I stop, stop and slap myself, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, 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 look how lucky, look how lucky. And that's kind of the, the attitude. I, I, I thought of doing this show while I was doing Raymond. I don't know if you know that story. Maybe your listeners know. But uh, we were at the end of season one, and I asked Ray Romano, what he was going to do during his vacation between season one and season two. And he said, oh, I go to the Jersey Shore. And I said, that's nice. Have you ever been to Europe? And he said, no. And I said, why not? He goes, I'm not really interested in other cultures, even his own culture, Italian. And that's when I thought, this was a long time ago, I'm going to say 1997. I, th- I said, we got to do that episode. We got to send you over there with that attitude of not being interested in other cultures and have you get transformed by the magic of travel and send you back with my attitude of, of loving travel and food and Italy, especially and the people and the scenery and the everything. And I wrote that episode and it took three years to get like the money from CBS to let us do a special two-parter in Italy and to get him on a plane because he didn't want to go. He didn't want to be afraid of flying either, but I did it. We did it. We get there, and this arc of a character that I wrote where he gets woke, you know, over a slice of pizza in a piazza outside of Rome, I saw happen to him, to Ray Romano, the person, my friend. And I saw this thing transform my friend. And I never forgot that. It got in really deep with me. And I would dare say you do what you do because there's no greater high than turning people on to stuff you like. And I never forgot that. I said, someday I'm going to do this for other people, right? And I had to really prove myself. I have to show them little clips of things that I've made and really sell around town. And I got rejected by a lot of people. Uh, In fact, I got rejected by the Travel Channel, which is the first place I went. They said, uh, we've done some research and we found that our audience doesn't really like travel. The, The Travel Channel, they do travel adjacent. I said, what does that mean? They said, we do a show called Pimp My RV. You understand? I said, I think, uh, I think you, you pimp an RV, but you don't go anywhere. That's right. That's what people like. Okay. Okay. So I went to PBS. It, that is not a strange theme. I think a lot of us who grew up with like MTV know that it's, yeah, try to find a music video, right? And that's you're right. on a pot, you're on a, a podcast that's yeah. on a tech website. So right. uh, that doesn't Everybody's cover tech really. It, it's, uh, nobody's dancing with the girl that brought them, right? So um, obviously, uh, part of the show, we'll get to the food in a second here, is um, you meet so many people as you travel. Have you kept up with any of them? I mean, some of them are people you know, but there's a lot of them you don't know. Well, here's what's great is with with social media and everything, 
you know, if someone, you can see that somebody made a comment on an Instagram and then you can write to them, right? And, or you can DM them or, or on Twitter or on Facebook. It's very easy to stay in touch. And of course we text the, 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 you know, I can't say I'm close with every single person that I've met, but I've made quite a few friends from each place. That's like the treasures of my life. This is the best part of traveling is you make lifelong friends. It can happen. Now, one thing I really do love about your show genuinely is the theme song. We don't really have theme songs on many shows today. And I'm wondering, how did, the, how did that come about for uh, somebody if you feel? When I was on PBS, do you know on PBS you're allowed to use any music you want? No, I did not know that. For free? It's like something about PBS, like because it's a not-for-profit or something, they're allowed to use anything. Now, when, if they rebroadcast it, then you can't use that music. But we used the, like a Pharrell song on, <laughs> on, on that. And, and, uh, and then we had some generic thing when it went streaming. But when I went to Netflix, Netflix, how about this for a meeting? This was the best meeting I've ever had, by the way. And I've been doing this a long time, selling shows. And here I sit down in the meeting and they say, was there anything that you wanted that you couldn't have when you were doing it over there? Isn't that a nice question to be asked? Wouldn't you love that? Like being like if you were being adopted. <laughs> you it it really it sounds like you were being adopted. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, the only thing I could think of is a theme song. And they said, you can have a theme song. First of all, they they like tripled the budget, and and they, everything was going to now be shot on four K uh, cameras, and so they were they were going to spend the money, and and I was like in heaven. And so I had met a band called Lake Street Dive, and I was a huge fan of theirs, and we had become friendly. So I scribbled some lyrics to them, and I said, if you're interested, would you like to write the theme song for this show? And they said, yeah. And they wrote some more lyrics and wrote that tune. And it's my favorite song. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing how good the song is, I think. And I always thought a good theme song kind of sets the tone for the show and makes you feel happy. And it's just another one of these things I've learned from sitcoms. You know, uh, what would Friends be without that theme song, right? Hmm, yeah. And and uh, it's kind of the identity of the show. And it's a, this, it connects you deeply, I think, to the feeling of the show. And then you're more open to the stuff you're going to see on the show because you already like the song. And hopefully like, uh, like people, when they watch friends, they're singing along with your theme song as they, as they make their way through the shows and seasons. Um, and then this new season, you go to Singapore, Rio de Janeiro, Hawaii, the Mississippi Delta and San Francisco, which is where CNET is based. And in San Francisco, you go to one of my happy places, Tartine bakery, which is in my old hood. And like me, my favorite thing there, and like you, I should say, uh, my favorite thing there is a chocolate croissant. Oh, Why do you God. love? Yeah, right. Why do you yeah. love that tartine chocolate croissant? Well, you, have you been to Paris? Unfortunately, I have not. All right. Well, you have been. You just don't know it because the croissants at Tartine are very similar. They have that almost thin layer of glass around it so that when you bite it, it shatters. And then the softest, 
most delicious pastry and very generous amount of delicious chocolate. Mm. And to have a warm one come out of the oven there, it's one of the great pleasures in life. Yeah, I would go on Saturdays to go get the chocolate croissant. And then there's a, a great local coffee company called Four Barrel to go get like a cappuccino with the croissant and kind of smuggle the croissant in. Like, I hope they don't see me. Um, okay. So good. That. By the way, every single thing at Tartine is really, really good. I just mm. am a chocolate freak. And so that, that rings my bell. Yeah, I mean, they also have, uh, I'm sure you know, there's Tartine Manufactory, which is like a spinoff, like a uh, bigger bigger bakery, more state-of-the-art, bigger, they, they have space. Uh, but they also have like a full like dinner menu and all that, which is just uh, stellar. I think we could do the whole podcast about that. There are so many wonderful meals and foods you've had. And then you come home, and I'm wondering two things. One, are you ever <laughs> just disappointed with the food that you have at home? Um, no. or, or do you ever like crave a specific food that maybe you had even years ago in like the first or second season? Yeah, yeah there's, there's things I dream about. I can't wait to get them again. But at the same time, I feel very lucky that I got to have them. Mm. So like, I know I'll never have a bowl of cow soy again as delicious as that bowl was in a shack on the side of the street in Chiang Mai, Thailand, right? I don't think, you know, unless something big happens, I don't think I'm getting back there. It's an arduous uh, trek to get there. You've got a first fly to Bangkok, which takes a long time, and then it's another few hours to get to Chiang Mai, and then it's a drive, and then it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. But this bowl of cow soy, you know what cow soy is? I do not. I was going to ask you, what is cow soy? Okay. It's a, it's a coconut curry broth. And at the bottom of the bowl is these fresh hand-pulled noodles, like the best pasta you ever had, mm. fresh. And then the broth is sprinkled with beautiful things like, like chilies and pickled mustard greens and, and onions and shallots. And, and then any meat you want or tofu, if you go that way, or shrimp, chicken, beef, pork, whatever you want. Is the, is the protein in there. And then on top are crispy noodles. So this ticks all the boxes for wow. delicious and texture and spicy and not too spicy and just delicious, delicious. And it costs a dollar. Wow. And I'm telling you, one of the more delicious things you'll ever eat. You can find it where you live. You can find it at Thai restaurants. I and I've had, you know, the first thing I did when I got to L.A., because we have a gigantic Thai population here with many, many great restaurants, is look for cow soy. And I've now tried about five or six, and there's a couple that come really close. But nothing will be as good as that one, mainly because that one is in a shack on the side of the road in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and it's a dollar. I get hungry with your descriptions here. <laughs> And I have a I have a confession to make. I would, this this is not part of the script here, honestly. I swear, and I, I am, I'm hesitant. Please don't make fun of me. But I, I've actually never traveled outside the country. I've traveled the U.S. quite well. Uh, I was a theater director for a number of years, as you can imagine. I had absolutely no money, um, and uh, it's, theater, so I know from where you speak. Yeah, and so it's definitely been something I've always wanted to do. And I, I see shows like yours, and I'm like, these are the kinds of experiences I want. And um, this does connect a little bit to my next question, which is I, I have heard you say 
we talking about Anthony Bourdain. And I've heard you say that you're the exact same thing as him if he was afraid of everything. And I feel like that might be part of part of the reason a lot of people are into your shows because it's a little easier for me to see the way you go through the world than it is I'm than it is seeing him getting like needlepoint tattoos in Africa and you know writing these like it's kind of like apocalypse okay, now I use, right I use that example I use that example all the time that exact example of what I will not be doing <laughs> you won't you know what you'll be getting in a tattoo like that <laughs> Not from drunken well, I, Borneo tribesmen in, in the forest? No, I will not be uh, And I figured, as great as Bourdain is, and he's a superhero to me, I figured there might be more people out there who are like me, who watch Bourdain and go, he's amazing, I'm never doing that. And yet there should be some kind of travel show for them. That, that, because what do I want out of a, out of a vacation? Well, I'd like a hotel with a bed and a pillow. I'd like to have food that I recognize as food and not uh, uh, bugs or things that we don't necessarily eat. Uh, if if you're raised in a in a kind of uh, uh, suburban upbringing like me, <laughs> so there's, there's I'm not Andrew Zimmern, who's also very brave, mm. uh, and yet the longer we do the show, the braver I get. Because that life is only good, you know, when you're stepping a tiny bit out of the comfort zone. That's where growth happens. And that's where the fun is, it turns out. Hey, I can eat an ant and I don't die. Right? <laughs> I, I can. Be a t-shirt. <laughs> right? I can go to Chiang Mai and try this strange stuff in a bowl. And not only will I not die, and not only will I like it, it'll be this thing I'm talking about years later. It's interesting because um, another thing that appeals to me about your show is you, you have – it's not constant, but you have an expression of just pure delight and pure wonder and this excitement to go exploring. And when I first saw your show, I'm like, there's no way that he's really like that in person. Where does that sense of wonder and excitement when you travel come from? I think the, the, the base level is, is that gratitude that I'm talking about. Sure, I would like to go outside. I would like to, people ask, where's the first place you're going to go when this is over? And I say, my diner, my local diner. I just want to return to normalcy. And, <laughs> and, I, get, and I get angry and I get uh, frustrated with the world and politics and everything else, like a normal person. But when I'm making that show, I feel like the happiest guy in the world. Look what I get to do. That's what I feel like every day of shooting. Look what I get to do. And, and there are times when my brother, who's also the producer, will say, you're going to do something that I, and, and I know I'm not going to like it. I know I'm not. I'm, I'm positive. For instance, Saigon, I don't know if you saw that episode, but no. they drove me at 4 a.m. out to the middle of the river in Saigon. And in the middle of the river is a, is a little island. And in the middle of that island is a lake, four in the morning. And I'm going out in hip waders into this muddy lake and I'm going to supposed to pick with this family lotus stems and look for snails that we're going to eat. <laughs> I hate, I hate, you lost me at 4 a.m. I told him, I don't want to do any part of this. And that was the thing that he made me do. One of the things. And if it wasn't one of the best experiences of my <laughs> stupid life. So I hate that he was right, but I also have to thank him because this is the whole message 
This is going out of the comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. That's where life happens. That's where you grow a little bit and realize you can do things. But I lived, not only did I live, but, you know, I'm, I, I got a tiny bit braver that day. I'm I'm laughing because I don't have as profound an experience like that, but it feels like there are a lot of people, and I'm one of them who will just not not let a laziness, but just I don't want to go do this thing or that thing. And then I always I always tell myself just to say yes, and I go do something, and it could be traveling or getting up maybe for a hike at sunrise or something like that. And I'm oh, always so grateful, right? Oh, yeah. Even even you're sitting there and you're going, I should exercise or walk walk around the block yes mm -hmm. walk around the block walk around the block it's always better you always feel better after you did it always unless you're hit by a car but that doesn't <laughs> again that doesn't our show is better. not uh does not uh project the future just want to emphasize that to listeners but you can go not. out for walks Okay, so the name of this podcast, Phil, is I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? This thing being over. <laughs> Wait, uh, I just want to be clear here. You're not saying the podcast being over, this recording. You're talking about the pandemic, right? <laughs> uh, actually, both. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Now you're gonna, only, it's good. No, no, no. Up, only <laughs> the pandemic. I love this. This. I hope this goes on at least another three minutes. But I love... <laughs> I love how lucky I am that people even want to talk to me. So I'm very grateful to you, even. Even you. Well, I feel the same way. Even me. Thank you so much. I, yeah. your, mercy, your mercy is, 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 is noted. No mercy. True gratitude. And, <laughs> and uh, my obsession has been, like everyone else, maybe, politics. You, you're looking for things to work out, right? You want things to get better. Unfortunately, politics affects the pandemic. So mm -hmm. it all, you, everything has to work. Everything has to work together to, to look. Here's the beautiful thing: this terrible tragedy has affected not just you, not just your family, not just your neighborhood, not just your town, not just your state, not just your country. The whole world, the whole world has been affected by this, and so the whole world has come together to find a cure. Look at there's three vaccines as we speak right now yeah. that are that are going to fix things, right? That's fantastic news. Look how people can work together and solve a problem. And I, the reason I'm so confident, or and even was so confident that this would end, was because it's ended every other time. Every other time there's been some horrible disease or pandemic or world problem, it's been solved, right? And so, so with this, it's just not happening as fast as we would like. So my current obsession is to live through this and get <laughs> to the other side, get to, to back to the world. I can't wait to go. Listen, we had to, we had to postpone our 30th wedding anniversary trip, which was supposed to be this past April. We were hmm. going to go to Venice and then I was going to take Monica to to Marrakesh because I got to film there, but she didn't get to come on that trip. So I was going to take her there and, and show her this incredible exotic place and, and, and meet all my new friends that I made there. And then we were going to finish up in Paris, which was where we had our 20th anniversary. So that's <laughs> still to come. So I'm still looking forward to that. If she still wants to go with me. <laughs> I hope so. Um, 
I want to ask you some uh, quick travel tip kind of questions because you travel a lot. Maybe you, for us who haven't traveled a lot, maybe you could help us. So what is the first thing you do when you fly, when you're on the plane? Are you a drinker or don't you drink? I used to, when I was a kid, meaning 20s and 30s, I would fly in steerage. You know, I would get the cheapest, <laughs> cheapest possible ticket and, and just fly. And I was just so grateful to fly. And, and just do it. But now I am going first class. And when you make it up to first class, and I consider it like a, almost like a rite of passage in life. I've now made it to first class, right? But I'm telling you, first class is something to aspire to because as you get older, you actually need to be a little more comfortable. I don't know how people do it who are my age and, and will take a, a, an international trip on a plane mm. and sit upright the entire time. It hurts my back just thinking about it. And so just the, the luxury of lying down, right, which you can do in business class, and that's fantastic. But the little extras that you get, all of a sudden you're being treated like, like, you're, like you're a guest. Like you're a human being and, not, and somebody isn't just throwing nothing. <laughs> but man, you're like a kid who's been given a new car. You know, that's what it feels like. You, and you, so what you do is you're checking out everything the car does. That's how I feel in my seat. I'm so excited. I'm like a little kid <laughs> in, the, in the seat. Oh my God, it reclines. It's a, what do you mean? Uh, hit this plane, this one, you hit this button. It's a, got a massager. What? <laughs> what plane I was on? I was on an airline, Emirates Airlines. I went from here to Dubai. The lady came around, the flight attendant, and said, what time would you, would you like to sign up for a shower? I said, what? <laughs> they said, we have, we have two showers in first class in, in, the, in the restrooms. What? Yes. Uh, I, I said, I, I guess in the morning. And they get, said, okay, you, everyone gets... Five minutes of hot water. And, here's, and, and I, I signed up for when I would wake up in the morning because a very long flight, 15 hours, I think. And so I, I, uh, I signed up and I got up and I went to the restroom. Now, the, the, it's two restrooms, one on each side, uh, left side and right side. And there's on Emirates, there's an attendant whose only job is to stand outside the bathroom. The, there's one on the left side and a, a person, a human being, on the left side and on the right side. And all they do is, after you use the restroom for any reason, even if it was just go in to wash your hands or brush your teeth, they go in after you, shut the door, and the, so that the next person who enters is walking into a sparkling new bathroom as if no one has touched it. Okay. Now, I go in for my shower. I get in the shower, and I kid you not, the water pressure was better than in my house. <laughs> and five minutes of hot water is a very good long shower. But yeah. that wasn't even the best part. That wasn't even the coolest part. I step out of the shower. The floor is heated. What? <laughs> well, I'm in some kind of heaven. I did not want to get off the plane. This experience was as great as any travel experience I've ever had in my life because it was so beyond anything I could have imagined as a, as a, as a kid who was going as a courier in, in, in almost with the baggage. You know, <laughs> I couldn't believe that I, I got to do this. So this, uh, this is 
if you ask me what I do first is I look at everything that is possible to do on the fly. What the menu is, what the food's going to be, what the thing, what are the specialties, what are the thing. I do research. I find out who's got the best flight to this place and that place, and I'm doing it. And you're not breaking any first class NDA by sharing any of this info with us because I, I didn't know he could take showers on the plane even. This is the, I believe, correct me, somebody who's listening will correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that this airline is the only one that has it, and I don't think it's on every flight even. But it was uh, spectacular. As a rule, the international carriers that are somewhat subsidized by their governments are going to be much more luxurious, even in coach, than, mm. uh, than our national carriers. Yeah, but to even be able to say, like, yeah, I flew on a plane and I took a shower on a plane. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, it's a life it, experience, I, right? That is, I mean, I that do. is... It never, it never leaves my mind for one second how stupid, stupid lucky I am to have gotten to do that. So I want to ask you one more travel tip, which is besides your phone and IDs and money and so on, what is one thing that you've learned that you always have to have with you when you travel? Uh, Imodium. <laughs> and why? I'm laughing, but I mean, let me ask you why. Maybe there's a, a reason. You never, know. you never know. You might eat something that, that doesn't agree with you and you don't want your whole vacation to be ruined, right? So, so that there's little precautions, little medicines, little things. Even, you know, sleep aids, because one of the things uh, on the plane, for instance, if you're on a very long overnight flight, you want to make sure you can sleep because that's a wasted day if you don't sleep, right? That's a wasted mm. day that you're going to have to sleep and waste your vacation. So I don't want that. So a sleep aid, I take one uh, uh, before I go go to bed on the plane. And then to correct my, my uh, rhythm, because it might be early morning when, when you're going to sleep early morning in America, when you're going to sleep in, in uh, Thailand. So you want to sleep aid that first night. It usually takes me one or two nights to get in the rhythm of the place. So those are things I, I, I must travel with. I, I bring, I think, enough underwear to last me for whatever trip I'm on. Uh, on the show, if we do back-to-back episodes, meaning, meaning uh, we did Bangkok and then we did... Uh, what was the one that we did right next? Oh, Vietnam, back to back. So the the crew, of course, there, there's there's a way to do laundry in between. But most of the times when you're traveling, you don't have a crew to do your laundry. So <laughs> so you gotta you gotta figure it out. Uh, when I was a kid with no money, we would find a fluff and fold in wherever wherever we were. I remember one time when I was when I was like 23 or four. We didn't know what to do with our laundry. We had hardly any money at all. So we washed our clothes in the sink of the hotel, never realizing how long it would take to air dry. And so we were <laughs> out cold for a while. <laughs> yeah. But these are live and learn. These are adventures that you don't forget. They're so worth having. Uh, it, it's great to have that as a base. You got to start from somewhere. It's better to have had nothing and gone into having something and vice versa. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up with a thing we do called pick one. And I give you a few choices and you just pick one. It doesn't mean the thing you pick is better than the other thing. It can be or that you like it more. So the first one is you got to pick one. Writer, creator, director, travel food show host. Which one do you pick? Travel food show host. 
And I'll ask why, because the first three are pretty cool, too. <laughs> They're awesome. They're awesome. But this, this, what I'm doing right now, is incorporating all those things. It's everything I've learned about how to make a show, everything I've learned about writing, directing, producing, everything, performing even, everything I've learned is now in the service of this thing I love about life, uh, family, friends, food, travel, and laughs. So this is, you could say, the pinnacle of my stupid existence. <laughs> well, I don't know. Stupid existence, that sounds a little derogatory there. It sounds pretty amazing. And the fact that you have so many of people like me and, uh, and uh, others who are just watching that and wondering how we could do more of, of any of those things in our life is, is also pretty great. Well, the show, the show is for you. The show is for people who don't travel. And I'm trying to get you to travel. That's the whole point of the show. It's not really about food. It's really about... Getting, I'm using food and my my stupid sense of humor to to just get you in the tent, to get you to see what's so great about traveling and meet these people, understand a tiny bit more about their world, their culture. The world I think would be better if we all could experience a little bit of other people's experiences. Okay, here's the next one: Hayden Fox, played by Craig T. Nelson, on the show Coach. Or Raymond Barone, played by Ray Romano, on Everybody Loves Raymond. Pick one. Uh, he, he was mine. You know, I created Everybody Loves Raymond. Mm -hmm. I, did, I worked on uh, Coach for someone else. And it's not, not disparaging it in any way, but this was like my kid. Okay, the next one I got, and this, uh, you might have to go back to some of your steerage days here. Window seat, aisle seat, or middle seat. Which one do you pick? Window. Uh, I like to see. I like the view. Now, as I get older, I think I have to take the aisle. Um, so this last one's not really a pick one. It's more of a question. But uh, I just wanted to make sure I got to ask this. You had the rare honor of directing a president of the United States in a video. Uh, you directed a White House correspondence dinner video years ago featuring President Clinton. What was that like? Well, that was back when president meant something. And mm. it was. It was a very big deal. I had written jokes for President Clinton uh, through a friend of mine who worked at the White House. And it turns out that there's like a humor season in Washington, not like today when it's all year round. But it's, <laughs> it was, it was uh, uh, April where they had the gridiron dinner, the radio and TV dinner and the White House correspondence dinner, which you see on television now. And you write, they, they need jokes. So you write jokes and, and, I had this idea of doing a video about the, the president and what it was like to do, because there had been Saturday Night Live type videos. I said, said, wouldn't it be great to do a video like that? And they said, the president of the United States doesn't do that. And at the time, the president of the United States didn't do that. But Barack Obama kind of changed all that. You saw him doing, you know, between two ferns and everything. But before any of that, they, they, first of all, they told me Clinton doesn't have any time until his last year. Then he had a little time. And they invited me to the White House. And I got to write it with the White House uh, staff. I wrote this video. And they wanted me to direct it. And so I directed the President of the United States in the first kind of intentionally comic video ever made. You can see it online. It's called The, the Final Days. The Final Days. President Clinton. And they showed that at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and Clinton was fantastic. You know, you don't have a lot of time with the president. Maybe I had an hour and a half uh, spread out over five days with him. Uh, and and uh, we got it as in pieces as we could. 
and uh, I write about it in my book. If you want to, if you want the longer mm. version of this answer, it's called uh, "You're Lucky, You're Funny: How Life Becomes a Sitcom." And uh, I talk about this in the book, this experience of directing the president of the United States. It was pretty heady stuff, but the almost the best part of it. I mean, once that video played, my my life changed a little bit because uh, I started getting phone calls. And one of the calls was from a friend of mine who was a comedy writer. And he said, listen, uh, my friend saw the video and asked if uh, I knew how to get a copy of it. And I said, would you like to have lunch with the guy who made it? And he said, yes. So I went and had lunch with Johnny Carson. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So the president, right, sounds pretty great. But when you when you when you think about it, there've been several presidents, but there's only one Johnny Carson. <laughs> I would I can't think of a better way to end. Thank you so much Bill for taking time and joining me on the podcast today. I want to thank Bill for chatting with me and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. Also, please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, rate it. Until next time, take care.